This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Brian Tobler. Brian has over a decade of experience in commercial real estate, finance, and banking. He has been instrumental in over a quarter billion dollars of real estate transactions to include multifamily, hospitality, retail, industrial, office, and triple net. Brian is well-versed in underwriting fundamentals of commercial real estate and has served as both a vice president and senior vice president roles in his career as a banking professional. He is passionate about real estate and believes it is one of the best ways to create and preserve wealth. Welcome, Brian. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like the audience to know about yourself? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good sum in a nutshell. I, uh, I'm, I'm a regular guy, just like most people, right? I've got a family working a career um, and figuring out the real estate game and, and how good it can be for you. So excited to be on a, on a podcast where we're talking specifically to and for uh, passive investors. Fantastic. And how did you get started with uh, real estate investing? Um, you know, my eyes really opened up to it in banking. I was able to work in a role where um, I was doing a lot of loans to investors, whether that was fix and flips or scrape and rebuilds or development of larger units. Um, a lot of, a lot of different things guys were investing in. And I saw, you know, the proverbial banker sitting on one side of the desk investor sitting on the other and they're bringing in piles of money and putting it on my desk, not literally, but, um, you know, I was like, wow, this is, I'm missing out here. I need to start getting in the game. So that's, that's kind of what opened my eyes to it, um, in a big way. Nice. And what was your first deal? So my first deal was two fourplexes. We ground up construction, built two fourplexes near the university of Denver. Um, and, those as all development deals go those had some some ups and downs but overall the market at the time was continuing to go up and up and up so little did we know that the, 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 the ah, can't talk the delays were going to uh just be more beneficial for us so we ended up building those two fourplexes and and more than doubling our money so it was it was great so Nice. Well, very, you know, adventurous of you to jump right into development uh, from the get-go. <laughs> Most people don't. Well, yeah, I think I think what made me comfortable with that is, you know, I had already done, I don't know, to the tune of probably somewhere around 150 to $200 million in development construction loans. So, you know, I was able to see the neighborhoods, the comps, um, you know, what made sense, what didn't. And uh, I partnered with some co some colleagues of mine, some coworkers, and trusted them, and it was it turned out really great. So, yeah, I mean, real estate as a team sport, it's all about having the right partners and other people to work with uh, to make deals happen. Especially when you don't know everything about uh, a particular kind of deal, and you partner with people who know what they're doing, and and you can absolutely. Um, and then currently, uh, yeah, currently, do you invest passively, actively, or a bit of both? Uh, a little bit of both. So um, right now I'm um, kind of in an active capacity in a joint venture deal. It was a another development deal um, for an industrial property. So we're we're in the middle of that, um, trying to sort that out of 
if, if we want to push forward and build or if we want to flip the land or what we're going to do exactly. So we're kind of in a hold period with the economy and, and uh, more, more the, more the city that we were going to build in than the economy. <laughs> they put some restrictions on our, our particular project um, regarding storage of what would be allowed. Um, so we're trying to decide, you know, where to go from now, but um and then passively, I am also in just about to jump in today or tomorrow as we speak um, into another develop deal, which is another development deal in Winter Park, Colorado. So um, that'll be to build 20 townhomes um, at the base of the resort. So nice, nice. And then uh, how did you come across this particular deal or, and uh, sponsor? Uh, the, the deal that um, I'm about to jump into was an ex-client of mine um, in the bank. So I had lent money to him and his his buddies a handful of times. They did some development deals in Denver, guys that know what they're doing. I trust them. I like them. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that made sense. He brought the opportunity to me, um, I don't know, two or three months ago and, and said that they were full, um, but somebody was backing out. And so that gave me the opportunity to get in, which... Um, yeah, you got to jump on those when they come. <laughs> nice, nice. And uh, so are you mostly looking for other type of development deals? No, I, I I like development, but I the passive the passive side of things, I'm probably going to be looking more for stabilized apartments or any other sort of commercial real estate, whether that be industrial properties, um, even hospitality would be interesting, retail something along those lines. So I'm, I'm actively raising for another group, uh, capital, um, currently, but we, we can talk about that later, but, um, yeah, so I, I think a mix of stabilized and development, you know, development's obviously the more risky approach, but you typically can make a much bigger return. So it's mm -hmm. kind of that risk return spectrum. I agree. It depends on someone's, uh, risk tolerance and, and what yeah. their investment goals are as to what sort of, asset class is the right one for them. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. And then for the apartment deals, are you looking at like uh, a class, B class value add, um, uh, turnkey, what sort of thing? Um, so I, I like, I, it's value add. So I prefer B class, um, do, do some touch up some value add, modernize it a bit, um, and then turn those units, um, I just prefer that there, there are certain C-class properties that, that I'd probably entertain or, or be okay with if they're in the right location. But um, I think the thing that turns me off with, with some of the C-class properties is they tend to be in C locations. <laughs> <laughs> so you get a C-class property in a C location, you're going to deal with a lot of crime. And I think that's just, that's, that's a tough thing to get involved with, you know, uh if there's depending on what city you're in and, and where you're at, it, you know, it may or may not be rough, but in Denver, that can be rough. So. <laughs> yeah. With value add, you can fix up the property, but it's really hard to fix up the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's actually a perfect way to put it. So. Yep. Very good. Uh, and I'm like you where I, I also like value add because you're kind of double dipping, you're getting the uh, cash flow and the appreciation that you force into the property as well. Yes. I mean, if you can force appreciation, it's, it's, it's nice, right? It just adds to the, uh, adds to the cash flow on the back end. So. Yep. So you are the sponsors that you're finding to passively invest in, are those mostly former banking clients? 
Um, no, I think it's just networking. You know, I think you can find the more I'm, I, I, I try to get more involved in the world. I, I go to um, conferences and uh, meetups and different things. So it, I think it really just depends. You know, I do have that um, to my to my benefit, I guess, is the way to put it, um, that I have a lot of ex-bank clients that, that I worked with and lent money to that um that I can reach out to but you know to to just the the general average passive investor I think I think the meetups are a great way to meet people that are that are looking to do deals whether they're looking for money or they're looking for partners or whatever it might be um but obviously to be a passive investor you're probably looking more just to park money so and how can you tell whether or not a sponsor is going to do a good job on a particular deal Boy, that's a good, that's a good question. That's a loaded question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I think the best way is, is really just to get their history. Have they gone full cycle? I think it's a good question for them, you know, and, and because they haven't, I don't think you have to penalize them and say, no, I'm not going to invest with you. It's just, it's something nice to see. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can say, well, let me see the portfolio. What have you invested in? Um, more of just kind of like interviewing anybody. What do they know about it? Does their business plan make sense? Um, what are their, what are their assumptions? You know, these are all things that if you passively invest, you probably really need to get down and understand, um, you know, what you're getting yourself into. Cause if you're just trusting somebody that puts together a nice deck and then running with it, you know, that could put your money at risk in a big way. So I think understanding, you know, the cash flow, how they're going to add value, um, how you're going to get paid, how the communication is going to work, um, just kind of work through all those questions with the sponsor. And then, you know, history, everybody wants to see history, everybody wants to see experience. But but what I want to be careful of is I don't want that to penalize the new guys, right? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. if you're new, you're really smart, you're really good. But everybody's just like, well, yeah, you, you haven't gone full cycle, we're not going to trust you with our money. You know, you might be missing out in a big way, because sometimes, if you help somebody else get started, um, you know, it pays off. So, yep, I agree. So, and what's a problem that you've encountered with the past deal and how was it handled? So probably the biggest problem I am, well, I've had a couple problems, um, more in the development realm, which <laughs> tends to have, tends to have some things pop up, but I will add that, you know, if you're looking at investing in any sort of value add property, that's, that's, um, existing an industrial property retail property a multifamily property office property whatever it is um value add typically means you're going in and you're doing something right and um to improve that property now it doesn't necessarily have to mean the physical property it could it could be other things that you're you're gonna um, increase the rents in another way but um, there's probably some form of construction right that's going to happen or remodel or something to improve the property to to be able to force that appreciation so to answer your question um in the first first deals i was in um there was some issues with the engineering so the city of denver outsourced their engineering review to another company and lo and behold, after a while, the city of Denver found that this company um, wasn't doing it right. And so they red tagged every single job across the city that these engineers have, oh. have put in play. And it's a lot of projects. So thankfully, ours was just framed. 
But there were other projects and clients that we knew about um, from within the banking world. They were done. They had to tear through drywall. <laughs> they had to tweak things. And, and so, you know, and even though the city hired these people, I don't, I didn't ever hear of any big lawsuit come out of this or anything like that, but it was a pretty big mess. And, and we were blessed that, that where we were in our process, it more or less just delayed us. It, it didn't really um, cost us a lot of money from the standpoint of we had to tear in um, or tear out something that we had already put in right in new construction. That's, that's a pretty sad day. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other example would be just the deal I'm in now, right. Of where we had a 200,000 square foot owner user class a um, building ready to go. And then the city we're building in comes to us and says, Hey, we're not going to allow storage in, within the city limits anymore. And we're like, well, what does that, what does that mean? And they said, well, any owner user, so if, if it's a construction company or a landscape company or a glass company, whatever it is um, that wants to buy one of your 40 or 50,000 square foot units and put their business in it, well, only 25% of that can be storage. The other 75% has to be office. And we're like, uh, <laughs> that's a problem. So it's typically the opposite, right? They probably only want 10% office, 90% storage. So um, needless to say, because the back end would be hard to sell those, these, these were for sale speculative units. Um, we pivoted in our plan and, and we're either going to change what we're going to develop into a mixed use type property or just flip the land to another developer that wants to rezone the property. So um, we bought the land really well doesn't have any debt on it. So we're in a good spot. We can sit on it um, as long as we need to. It just ties our money up, but, you know, land in Denver's scarce. So I think we're going to be just fine. Cool. Yeah. That's uh, certainly annoying with that. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, those, those businesses, because you're right. Normally it's the office and the you know, display, whatever cases up front and then warehouse and back, we call that the mullet of real estate because yes. business in front and uh, party in the back. <laughs> Real estate is all about adding value to other people. An easy way to do that is to share this podcast with someone you know who wants to do more passive real estate investing. Also, subscribe and leave a review. Now, let's get back to the episode. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that you're doing some capital raising now. Uh, can you what, what can you say about that? Yeah, so I'm in a deal right now. It's for accredited investors only. Um, it's, it's down in uh, the Dallas, Fort Worth metro area. Um, in, in a town called Allen, uh, Texas. So it's 200 units. It's a value add property. Um, I would say it's probably, I, I would coin it probably a class B property. Uh, once the units are renovated, it'll be a pretty clean, uh, sharp looking property. Very little, this, this submarket of the Dallas Fort Worth area is blowing up big time. So, um, I think it's a great spot to be today. Um, this, this property's actually already been um, acquired. So they're recapitalizing the property through allowing other investors into the deal um, to more or less create more of a reserve. And, and just so the owners are giving up a little more of their share of this deal to let other people in, um, in that regard. So kind of a cool deal, unique that it's, that it's already been acquired and, and it's opening up for people to come in as common shareholders um, on the back end like that, but, uh, it should be cool. 
Why do, why do they need to do a recapitalization? So I think there's a couple things. I think they want to bolster the main things. I think they want to bolster their reserves, right? With the economy, with the debt markets, um, with everything like that. I think they just want to make sure there's plenty there um, to make sure this, this deal goes. Because I think the first and foremost, you want to preserve capital preservation, right? Is the key uh, for any investor. It's like, if you can just, keep your money and not lose it. That's, that's the most important piece. So I think that's what their, their play is. And the debt they have on, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a 6% rate today, which, which I think is fair. It's interest only. Um, they have a rate cap on it, so it's not going to go up, but you know, rate caps expire after two years. So, um, and then you have to go out and depending on what the market looks like in two years, you know, you may have to shop that again. So that's another reason to bolster that, um, that reserve, um, kind of one and the same, I guess. But, you know, if you go back fast forward 18 months and you need to put another cap on because rates have stayed higher or gone higher, um, you know, you're going to want some cash there because sometimes those rate caps aren't cheap depending on what the spread is. So. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you're talking about the recapitalization or recap. I, I think that's going to be more common throughout this year and next year as things like uh, uh, bridge loans start to expire. And, uh, uh, you know, these property owners have to either sell or on a fire sale or, or refinance, which it's a higher rate than they originally planned for, or to do some recap to, you know, have a, a you know, more cash into the deal. And yep. that's a great opportunity for investors to get involved, like like with this, into a pre-existing deal, but then to get, uh, you know, pull some of the equity uh, out and, and you can sort of set your, your really good terms for these new investors that are coming into the recapitalization. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, another another methodology there is is if you have to close on the property, because um, sometimes depending on what the capital raise is, you know, it could be a pretty big hurdle for some of these properties. And, you know, depending on what the debt and equity, what the capital stack looks like, sometimes, you know, redeploying an offering like this, recapitalizing in that sense, you get cheaper, cheaper money, if you will, right? So if you if you had preferred equity or if you had mezzanine debt or something that was higher than what you'd otherwise maybe pay out to um, common stockholders, then that could make sense that way too. So what kind of returns are you projecting for these uh, investors that are coming into the recapitalization with you? So they're, they're, it's still looking pretty much similar, the same uh, as what they were offering the initial, through the initial offering. I think the owners are just giving up a, a piece of their pie, right? To say, hey, we want to bring in other people, make sure there's ex excess liquidity here. But the return is, uh, it's at 7% uh, preferred return, so which I think is pretty standard. It's a 70-30 split after that. And then over a 15% um, IRR, it goes to 50-50. So, yeah, and I think like, the hold, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's pretty typical. Yeah, I think the hold period on this, they're projecting between three and five years, um, a little more on the shorter term, but I think once they go in, they they fulfill the business plan. And so for some people, that may not be their ideal scenario, right? If they're looking to like park money long term, um, you know, that you got to look at that too, of does it make sense? Um from, from your perspective on what you're looking for, but. Okay. And what's the minimum to invest into this recap? This one is a hundred thousand, but I, I, I think we, we would accept 50,000. Um, I think it's just the hundred thousand dollar number to try to limit the, 
the number of investors. Um, I know some guys are trying to raise the bar in that in that sense, which I agree, but I disagree. Right? It's it's kind of like it, it it caps out some folks that would be players in the market if if you double what the <laughs> what the minimum into the deal is. But um, when the capital raise is significant, I, I can see why um, you know folks would want to bump up that number and. Um, so I, as, as, as a capital raiser and as I'm going to be helping with the asset management of this, um, entity or this project as well, you know, I think it's, um, it's not always necessarily my call on, on what the, uh, what the principals want to do. So. Yeah, that's fair. And I think it is important to have some minimums because like, let's say you're raising a million dollars and you have a thousand dollar minimum. Well, you got to raise money from a thousand investors. <laughs> to get to that million dollars. And that's just, uh, you know, mind boggling and bless uh, investor relations. And it's like uh, more tr- cumbersome than it's, it's worth really. So, but if you have a $50,000 minimum for that million dollars, now it's only 20 investors and, and that's a lot more, you know, handleable. Uh, you know, for the long term, as uh, you know, the for the investor relations and such. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready for a speed round? I am. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? I think my favorite part about it is is you can have your money working for you, you know, just constantly, and you know, over time that pays off big time. I mean, initially it doesn't look like it's doing much, but I think over the long run, um, it'll it'll work wonders. You know. By small and simple things, great things come to pass, if you will. So, <laughs> yep, yep, especially when your money is compounding and yes. your dollars are going to work for you. Yeah. Uh, what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? Oh, man, I wish I would have known more about the syndication and fund uh, world, you know, 10 years ago, as, as that's really what I wish. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool world to play in. It's, it's a cool place to park money as a passive investor. And it's also a cool money to, if you want to get more actively involved. So. And what's a book that you can recommend to investors? Um, I really like, I read it a couple of years ago, but I think it was a really good book, spoke a lot about just kind of who we are and how we were raised and what, what our environment was, but the psychology of money um, is a really cool book if, if you haven't read it yet. So. Yep good book. And how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about, uh, you know, what you have going on with real estate, including this deal in Dallas? Yeah. So, so a couple of things that you can go visit my website and, and always, uh, catch me there at toblercapital.com or they can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Brian Tobler. And then the other way is, um, you know, just shoot, shoot me a direct email at Brian Tobler at toblercapital.com. All right. I'll include those in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. It's been great talking with you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Appreciate it. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.